Well, I would bet that there's a lot of you, not all of you, but a lot of you that grew up uh, in a situation similar to me where every Sunday there was this phrase uttered around your house, get up, we got to go to church, get up, we got to go to church, get up, we got to go to church, got to go to church, go to church, go to church. And I grew up hearing a lot about going to church. Obviously, I like it because I go to church a lot now. Um, but it began a question in me recently, though, about the difference between going to church and being the church. And that's what we've been talking about this summer is what does it mean to actually be the church? You know, over this last year, uh, with a lot of the difficulties from the pandemic and and just different ways of approaching things, something just stood out to me is that God's word was never slowed down. Even on the times that we couldn't necessarily meet together under one roof or things like that, there were different ways that, that people would come together and they would uh, be there for one another and they would gather and God would be glorified and, and it really never even slowed down. So I don't think that God is um, inconvenienced sometimes by the things that tend to inconvenience us. And so this idea, though, of being the church, as we've begun to look at it and using the book of Philippians as a guide into this, just is something that I hope, again, I say it, I'm gonna, you're going to hear me say it a lot this summer, I hope it sinks into your heart and you truly will ask the question, well, am I just going or do I actually want to be the church? What, what, what's the reason for me being there? If it's just attendance, then, then what is that actually doing? And over the first few weeks, we've looked at this, that first of all, if I'm going to be the church, one of the very first things that I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for my partners in ministry. And who, who are the partners in ministry? Well, look around you. These are the partners in ministry. Um, yes, there are believers all over the world, but God has brought this particular group together in this particular place at this particular time for a reason and for a purpose. And so we begin by learning to pray for and be involved in the lives of the people that God has put us with right here, First Baptist Church Weatherford. And as we do that, there's a common goal that we all have, and that is this, that we want to advance the gospel. God has brought us together in this place with the giftedness that we have and the experiences that we have and the knowledge that we have so that we can advance the gospel, so we can see God's word and God's good news be spread, not just throughout Weatherford, but around the world as God would enable us to be able to do these type of things. So to be the church and not just attend church or not just go to church, I'm going to pray for those that I go to church with. And I'm not going to be able to pray for them if I don't know them, right? So to get to know them, I'm going to have to do something with that. And advancing the gospel is not going to happen by accident. I'm going to actually have to intentionally think about, well, what am I doing to advance the gospel? And I, I really did make it as simple as I could last week in saying, if you just talk about it, Talk about it at home. Talk about it in your life. Talk about it with friends. Talk about it with spouse. Talk about it with kids. Just talk about the gospel and begin to see what God will do as we make talking about the gospel a part of our life. And he will use that to begin to lead you by the Holy Spirit to advance the gospel and to use that in your life as well. And then today, I want to give you another aspect of what it means to be the church. And when I say this, some of you are probably going to immediately think one thing, and I'll just go ahead and tell you that's not what I'm talking about. You don't even know what it is yet, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that's not what I'm talking about. But to be the church, I will be present. I will be present. And let me just go ahead and say this. 
It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense for me to talk to people about church attendance when you're sitting right in front of me or you're watching online, right? So I'm not just using the term be present to talk about the fact that it does help when you're here. Obviously, I believe it helps when we're here. But let me take this a little bit deeper. I'm talking about who are you there for? Who are you present for in their life? And who is present for you in their life? Maybe some different ways that I've heard this put, some, some other churches or some other people who've spoken about this in the past of, of taking some things from them. And one of the questions that was out there is, who's your 2.30 a.m. friends? You know, the ones that if something's going on in your life and it happens at 2.30, that you have no hesitation about picking up the phone and calling them because you know that they're not going to think a thing about it, that they're just going to be on it because you've built that kind of relationship and you have that kind of investment in each other's life. That's what we mean by being present. And hear me on this. Being willing to be present and being present are two different things. Because I know in a group of people who love the Lord and who desire to be able to live life to its fullest by God's word, that most of us would say, man, I I wish that person would have reached out to me. I wish they would call. I wish we had that. But the reason that we, and I'm one of we, right, don't do that is just obvious. We haven't built that relationship. So being present requires building relationships that are more than just superficial relationships. It requires doing life together. And, and I'm, I'm glad to, to tell you, I, I do have some people in my life, and I hope that you do as well, that are present for me. And that doesn't mean that they actually even live in the same town that I live in. Sometimes those people who are present for me, we've built relationships over a lifetime because relationships can't be built quickly. They take time to develop. But the intentional pouring into those relationships have developed over time that I know that there are people like that in my life and I know that I can be that person and am that person because life has proven that I am that person for some people. And my desire is that everybody would have a relationship like that. And as pastor of a church, you just kind of sit back and go, where better to build and to find those type of relationships than right here? But then you have to start asking the question of, well, why aren't those happening more often? And you begin to look at maybe some of the ways that, that we do things. And we'll talk about that a little bit more here in a little bit. But do you have that person? You know, when, when we moved here or those people, when, when, when my family moved here, some of you know this, some of you don't. But it was my daughter's senior year of high school. So um, we chose to let her stay behind and my wife stayed behind for a few months while she finished high school and then I moved here. And then she finished high school and went on to college uh, back in Lafayette, Louisiana. And we, uh, Julie moved up here with me. And then shortly after that, Becca got in a wreck. She, she got in a car wreck, pretty bad car wreck. Somebody pulled out in front of her and it was, a, it was kind of a messy little scene. She was okay. But at that moment, I'm seven hours away and realizing there's no dad portal that's been invented yet that can just zap me to the location where my children are. And you're going, what in the world do I do? And so I'll just tell you a quick, a quick story about that. 
Um, some of you know this, some of you don't, but I came from a, a pretty large church there, over 2,000 people. And we worshiped together and had a lot of acquaintances and a lot of people I knew and a lot of people that knew me. But there was a group of people that we had intentionally chosen to do life together. And we met on a regular basis and we studied God's word and we shared birthdays and we, we did stuff together and we helped each other in the yard and we, we, we did life together. And so here I am about a year and a half removed from even living there, but these are people who I continue to contact. And out of 2,000 plus people who were there, there's six people that I still have a conversation with. And they're the ones that I chose to do life together with in that place. And so when that happened, who did I call? I called those people. And I said, hey, this has happened. And without a doubt and with nothing even to think about, they were like, we're on it. And they're both there, two, two of the guys are there, and they're there and they're helping take care of, and they, they take Becca and they walk with her through all the stuff that she had to go through with that, and they helped make sure things were taken care of. They checked on her the days following and stuff like that because I couldn't necessarily be there, but these were people who were present in my life even from seven hours away. How do you build those kind of relationships? Where do those things come from? And where better to do that than in a place where God has put you with other believers who are like-minded with the same goal. You see, Paul writes this in Philippians, and we're going to be looking in chapter 1, starting in verse 18, which we read a little bit of last week, but we'll pick it up here again. Paul's talking about the people who are causing him difficulties and the things that are going on, and he goes, look, here's the, here's the answer. What does it matter? <laughs> what does it matter what all these other people are doing? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. But I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. So if you didn't catch that, what Paul is saying is as I'm, as I'm looking at my faith and if I look at it from this personal perspective of it's me and it's God and God's poured into my life, Paul is saying, man, the best thing that could happen is that day when I get to cross that threshold and I go on to heaven with him. And I bet he's looking at life at this point in time going, man, I've been beaten, I've been chained, I'm in jail, I'm trying to advance the gospel, I'm not letting these things get me down. But what would actually be great for me is if God would just take me on home and I would just be there with him and this would be great. But then he goes on and he says, but there's something that I've determined that is more necessary and that's for me to be here with you. And he's saying that from a distance because Paul's writing to the church in Philippi from jail. So Paul's not actually able to physically be with them. But he's saying it's best for him to be present for the sake of others. 
That's where he's finding life. And he says that wonderful phrase, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's truly a win-win. You guys hear me say this all the time. It's only in God's economy that you can truly find a win-win. Because most of the time we're in this life with a mentality of a win-lose. Well, if I get this, they don't. Or if they get this, I don't. Or whatever. But in God's economy, he can truly make it a win-win. And so Paul is sitting here torn between the two, but then ultimately says, for the sake of others, it's best for me to be present. And so, you know, sometimes I give you guys these blanks. Some of you like to fill them in and and things like that. I love it when I do something like this because it confuses everybody. Because there's a blank that's intended to be blank. And it's this, to live is, and you have to answer that question. Paul said to live is Christ. But for each one of us, it brings about a great question. To live is what? What am I living for? What am I getting out of bed each day? What motivates me? What's the bottom line for me to be alive and to get life to its fullest and to continue to just experience life the way that God intended to me? Life is what? To live is what? You have to answer that question. Paul said to live is Christ. So therefore, no matter the circumstance that he finds himself in, as long as the gospel is advancing and he's able to pour in the lives of others, he finds everything that he needs to find joy and purpose and happiness. It seems like since the first of this year, as God led us through Daniel and now we're, we're looking at this in Philippians, that seems to be a common theme that our circumstances are much less important than our relationship, especially with Christ and with others. That circumstances are oftentimes going to be beyond our control. We're going to walk through difficulties. We're going to walk through challenges. But yet God's relationship that he has with us and the ability that he gives us to connect with others is going to lead us to fullness of life that goes beyond our circumstances. And so that's where we want to be present. You see, the difference here between just going to church and being the church Going to church and, and, and just showing up and saying, okay, I was there and now I'm leaving there and I'm going here, but we're not really connecting and we're not really doing this. Or be in the church which says, man, I get to be here and I get to be here for you and I get to be here for you and we get to do life together and I get to pray for you and I get to hear from you and you get to pour into me. And, and this is what it means to be the church. We want more of that. I want more of that. Anybody else want more of that? More of that. Less of attendance. Okay, I just said that, didn't I? Less of attendance for attendance' sake. More of being the church. That's what we want. Because here's what we begin to discover. When we're present in that type of way, not just physically in the building, but when we're present and we're engaged in worship and we're engaged in relationships, this is what it means. I can find joy in relationships. We find joy in relationships. You do realize that, right, that circumstantial joy is exactly that. It's circumstantial. And as soon as the circumstances change from something that made you happy, then it's going to change to something that makes you unhappy. And it's going to be like this roller coaster ride, but you can always find joy in relationships. That's why Paul writes, I will continue to rejoice. I'm in jail. I'm going to continue to rejoice. My rivals are having a heyday. I'm going to continue to rejoice. Why? Because the gospel is advancing and we have great relationship with one another. 
I can rejoice in that. I, I love it. If you think about the idea of circumstantial, circumstantial joy, it, it's just never going to lead to anything that's fulfilling. The, the prophet Habakkuk puts it like this. Though the fig tree does not bud, there's no fruit on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk has learned the truth that a relational connection with God will bring the deepest and best joy that goes well beyond anything that's circumstantial joy could bring. One of the wonderful illustrations of this type of relationship for me in all of Scripture is the relationship between a man named David and a man named Jonathan. And if you're not familiar with him, David was destined to become the king of Israel. But there was a problem. There was a man named Saul who was the king of Israel. And Saul's son was Jonathan. Now in a normal circumstance, Whenever Saul passed, Jonathan would become king, right? But yet there's this incredible relationship that we see developed between David and between Jonathan that, that begins to develop over time when Jonathan realizes that God has anointed David to be the next king and yet he's watching all these things happen around him with his own dad trying to take David out of the picture. And yet God gives them this great connection and this great love for one another. It says in 1 Samuel 23 that David was in the wilderness of Ziph and Horish when he saw that Saul had come to take his life. Not a great circumstance, right? Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David and Horish and encouraged him in his faith, saying, Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. And even my father Saul knows this. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. Afterwards, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. And yet they were still there for one another. They built a relationship that was there for one another and a connection with one another that went beyond circumstance. It even went beyond location but they had a connection that was deep. David and Jonathan built that relationship that they could count on one another even though they didn't physically have to be in the same place. Do you have those relationships in your life? And are you that person for someone else? And do they know it? <laughs> like I said, sometimes we can be willing to do this, but have we actually developed it in that way? You see, because another thing that being present in these type of relationships does is it helps us build our faith. So I can build my faith when I'm present for someone else. There, there is a key phrase in this passage that I've read that a lot of times gets overlooked. I want you to catch it. It's in verse 19. After he says, I'll continue to rejoice, he says, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the spirit of Jesus Christ. So Paul articulates a key to our faith, and it's the spirit of God, which I think we would all go, yeah, absolutely, God's spirit has to lead me in this. But he says it's also through the prayers of these people that he has this connection with. So it's the spirit of God and the support of others that help us develop our faith fully and live life to abundance. It's with 
God's relationship and with the relationship of others. Proverbs 27, 17 puts it this way. Iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. So to help you remember that, I'll put it this way. Things get dull when you walk alone. Things get real dull when you walk by yourself. And and there's a reason that our culture tries to push independence on us all. Because the enemy is smart. And he tries to build us up thinking, oh, we just need to be independent people. And we don't need anybody. And I don't have to be around anybody. And I'm a self-made man. And I'm a self-made woman. And I don't need this. Because the enemy knows that that is just slowly pushing us away from the life that God intends for us. Because walking through life alone is dull. Iron sharpens iron. And we need one another to be sharp and to live life to its fullest. Jesus himself says that we should live life in this way. That let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify God in heaven. So how are we going to live a life where people honor our good works if we're never doing good works in connection with anyone in a relationship? We can't fulfill these things on our own. We have to be in right relationship with one another. Being in right relationship with others will help us build our faith. So why don't we do that more? We have to be more intentional about this. And sometimes we have all kinds of excuses. Sometimes we, you know, we'll sit there and go, well, if somebody would just ask, okay, that's great. I'm an introvert too. You don't believe it, I know, because I'm up here. But I, I, I truly am not the person that always just kind of goes out and does these things naturally. It takes time for these things to develop. And I wish we could just, you know, wave a wand and they would just happen overnight. But they don't. You have to want it. You have to intentionally say, okay, I've got to put myself out there. I've got to look for someone else. And, you know, another thing is, is some people hear this and they go, gosh, I've got to connect with everybody in the church. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, No. You can't. I can't. I don't know all your names. I love you all. But it's just the nature of this. And God has given us one another, and we get to live these things out in relationship, and we get to do with a few people what we wish we could do with everybody. But yet God's going to give us exactly what we need in those relationships. And here's the bottom line. Sometimes we don't do it because we just think, well, I don't know that I have anything, but Say this with me. I'm going to give, put it on the screen. I'll read it once, and then you can say it with me. I have something to give for the glory of God. Say that with me. I have something to give for the glory of God. You live by yourself or on your own. You're either keeping that to yourself. You're not sharing that. Your gifts aren't developing to its fullest. You're not being there for someone else like you can. But we all have something that we can give to others. And in essence, if we're not doing that, then we're keeping something that could be a blessing to someone else away from them. And so your presence in the lives of others matters. It matters. And that's why Paul writes this. See, I'm persuaded of this, that I know that I will remain and continue with all of you. Why? For your progress And joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. You see, Paul figured out how to turn that question around. Our culture usually asks, well, what am I going to get out of it? And we think that's where we're going to find life, is when we can get the most out of something. But Paul's figured it out. I'm going to get the most out of something when I pour the most into it. 
And so that's why he asked the question, what can I do for you? Because the more I'm able to do and pour into you, that brings joy and life to its fullest. I love the writer of Hebrews and the way he puts it just so plainly. Let us consider one another. Let us consider one another, not just ourselves. In order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's something I've discovered. No matter how often I get together either with some close family or close friends, no one ever utters the phrase, I wish we did this less. It's always, I wish we did this more. I wish we got together more. I wish we did this. So what do we need to do to keep the most important things the most important in our life? And what can we do to build the type of relationships that we know that we're present for others and they're present for us? So in this realm of doing things, I want to put this aside for a minute because I believe God's word has been clear to us on this. And I pray that he's speaking to your hearts this morning. And I want to talk to you a little bit about some things that our staff has been praying about, about how we feel like that we could do this in a greater way at the church. What are some ways that we could set things up so that people could more readily develop these type of relationships in their life? And so we've been looking at this in light of our vision of a church to be a place where people discover they're fully known and fully loved by God. And I'll just go ahead and finish this out. People aren't going to discover they're fully known and fully loved by God unless you and I tell them, right? And so we want to create environments where people can discover this and they can build these type of relationships. And so there's three things that we believe that to experience life to the fullest through the church and to be the church that we believe every church member needs the opportunity to do. Now, again, the essence of discovering this means you've got to figure this out at your pace, at your time, and in your way. Because we don't want to just feel like we have a, a one-fits-all system and we just run everybody through it. But there are some things that we believe would help everybody develop these type of relationships. And I'll just make it real simple. We want to give you an opportunity to worship. We want to give you an opportunity to serve. We want to give you an opportunity to connect. And so that's what we're looking at. How do we do this in the church? How do we give people an opportunity to worship? an opportunity to serve, and an opportunity to connect. And so we're going to be making some adjustments on the way that we do things as a church because we want to give people more of an opportunity to worship and to serve and to connect. So one of the things that we're going to be doing is at the end of August, on August the 29th. When are we doing this? Not next week. Not next month. Because I know I'm going to get this. When, did, when are we going to do August 29th, and you're going to hear a lot more about this between now and August 29th, and we're going to have time to answer questions, and we're going to work with people, but we're going to be changing the schedule. So instead of doing an eight, instead of 8 a.m. worship, Bible study in the middle at 9.15, and worship again at 10.30, we're going to simplify it. We're going to make it 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. worship. And at the same time that worship is happening, all of our kids' programming will be happening as well. So you can come at 9 o'clock as a family, and you can worship together, and then your kids can go to their Bible study at 10.30, and then it gives you the opportunity to do what at 10.30? Well, you can serve. 
Because another thing that we think would, would be better is we're trying to fit so many things into so few times that sometimes people are having to make a choice between how do I connect with others and where do I find my giftedness and serve as a church. So we want you to have an opportunity to worship at either hour, but then we also want you to have an opportunity to serve at the church. Now we're going to talk more about service opportunities later on in this series But just know there are lots of things that it takes to put on worship services and kids' ministry and to do things well. But we want to give you an opportunity to worship and an opportunity to serve. And then the connection we want you to find in groups. And I'm just going to make this real simple. We're not trying to identify 53 leaders and stick people in groups and to do this. all. We just need people who are going to say, hey, I want to do life together with people. And find two or three other people and say, we're a group. And then we're going to support you in developing that group and in developing those relationships as they can. Now, like I said before, I know that some people are used to coming and saying, man, okay, I'm just going to say this. Anybody remember back in the day when the church had the scoreboards up? Anybody remember the scoreboards? Now, I know some of you are going, I didn't grow up in church. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not trying to alienate you. But there used to be a day when you would come into a good old Baptist church, and on the side there were these plaques. And on the plaques, there were numbers, and they put those numbers up there, and it was like we won, okay? We scored more points this week than last week, and that's how everybody felt good about the church, if we could just put more numbers on that thing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because those numbers represent people, and those numbers represent life change. They represent very good things. But when it comes to groups and life together, sometimes more is not better. Sometimes it's best to have a group of five or a group of ten because we can do life together at that. But if we get to be a group of 20, it's kind of hard for me to know everybody and do these type of things. So we want to enable groups to be able to connect and hear me on this. This is the big mess that we're creating in a way that's best for you. So you're going to have to tell us what works best for you. Now, one of the things that we've been saying is there's 168 hours in a week. We're reserving three of those hours for worship and serve. That frees up 165 for you to choose when might be best for you to connect with your group. And so you're saying, Pastor, that we're not necessarily going to have those groups here at the same time that worship's going on. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And I know that's going to be different for a lot of people. And that's going to be a change. But again, hear me. We want to give people an opportunity to worship. We want to give people an opportunity to serve, and we want to give people an opportunity to connect in relationships because we feel like that's going to lead to being the church and being the best life and the best way that we can do this right now. Because some people are, are going to love having the opportunity to even serve together as a group. Hey, our group meets on this day at this time and does stuff, but then we serve together and we do this. All these different opportunities become available to us when we just change the schedule a little bit. I know it's different. I know it's new. I love you. And making change in a Baptist church is sometimes a very difficult thing to do. But that's why we're doing this in August. Because between now and August, we want to have an opportunity to have conversations about it. What does it look like? How do we do this? What will work for you? What won't work for you? You know, we want to make sure the bottom line that we're doing is giving everybody an opportunity to be in a position where they can best build the type of relationships that we're talking about. And we believe that this will help us do that. Because we want people to experience the joy of right relationships. Because, bottom line is this, 
the greatest joy that I can have in life is when I get to be a light for others. That's the greatest joy that I have in life. When I get to, to use my giftedness to the fullest, when I get to pour myself out in worship, when I get to be there for someone else and have them there for me, that's when life is going to be its most full. So that's why we're heading this direction. Do we have it all figured out? No. Are we going to get it all right? No. But we're going to love each other along the way, and we're going to figure out how to do this because what we want is we want everybody to experience life at its fullest. So would you pray with me this morning?